What's up, everybody? You are listening to 90s DVD Rewind. If you're a returning listener, you know who we are, Nick, Justin, and Mike. If you're new to this podcast, we welcome you. We are going to be going over some quote-unquote great movies from the 90s, some that we like, some that maybe I completely trash, and it's going to be really fun and exciting. We want you guys to stay up to date with what we're doing, so please follow us on Twitter. That's at 90Rewind. You also want to check us out on Facebook, too. Go there as well. We are on a plethora of listening apps and other areas. Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcast, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. We thank all of you for hosting, and especially our number one place, which is Anchor. If you want to head on over there, you can listen to us. If you want to subscribe, that'd be great. Give us five stars. Tell us how great of a job we're doing. Incredible, incredible stuff. We have four episodes up already, starting out with our first movie, which was 12 Monkeys. We moved on to True Romance, Digstown, and then the last episode that we did was White Men Can't Jump. I want to shout out to everybody that's listening out there. I see you out there in D.C., Virginia, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, and also... I want to give a big shout out to the people that are not listening in the United States. Australia, I see you out there, Australia. I see you're listening. Thanks. We appreciate it. We appreciate everybody listening, whether you are new or a returning listener. So we are going to jump into this movie. But before we do that, guys, how you doing? This is Mike. I am doing phenomenal. Uh, another great week in the life. I've got my my basement set up a little more solidified, still working on getting some monitors working, but uh, seem to have a, a nice little studio area going, feeling good, got my levels set, uh, got to watch another great movie in Silence of the Lambs, and very excited to talk about it this week. Hey, this is Justin. I'm doing well. Had a nice weekend. Um, baseball team won our semifinal game. We're moving on to the championship, which will be on Sunday. So uh, looking to wrap uh, that up. And uh, lo- looking forward to talking about uh, The Silence of the Lambs. Um, for me personally, it was um best film we've seen yet. So, Michael, as always, we, we do this time and time again. We want to give... Uh, the audience, a little introduction on the movie, and like I'll say again and again and again, if you haven't seen the movie, we encourage you to watch it. Now, I'm not going to be part of that this week, but we encourage you to watch it so then you can follow along. If not, you can just listen to us banter back and forth about what we thought about this film. So, Michael, you can take it away. I will. There is a lot to say about this movie. Today we are rewinding Silence of the Lambs, released by Orion Pictures on Valentine's Day 1991, the perfect date movie. Uh, Directed by Jonathan Demme. Uh, He's been directing movies for a long time, uh, since 1974. Most famous movie prior to this was probably Married to the Mob a couple years earlier, starring Alec Baldwin and Michelle Pfeiffer. And we've got another star-studded cast uh you know very top heavy but a very good top um biggest star of the film most screen time miss jodie foster as clarice sterling uh fbi trainee 
Jodie Foster had her really big, she was a child actor, had her big breakthrough role uh, playing a 12-year-old prostitute in Taxi Driver. She was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actress that year at 12 years old. Went on to study at Yale, graduated uh, with a bachelor's degree there, and then went on to win an Oscar in The Accused in 1988. Uh, won an Oscar and the Golden Globe and the BAFTA for Best, Best Actress. Um, next big movie after The Accused was Silence of the Lambs in 1991. Again, won an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and a BAFTA for Best Actress. Went on from there to form a production company. She starred in a movie called Summersby with Richard Gere. She was in Maverick with Mel Gibson and James Gardner. She's directed some movies. She started Contact, Inside Man, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, also, big star in this movie, not at the time, but, but since, Anthony Hopkins plays the illustrious Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Mr. Hopkins spent his 1970s formative years in English theater and English TV, spent the first half of the 80s in American TV. No real significant movie roles until Silence of the Lambs. Then he went on to star in Dracula, Chaplin, Remains of the Day, Legends of the Fall, Nixon, The Edge, Amistad, Mask of Zorro, Meet Joe Black, Hannibal, Red Dragon, Alexander, World's Fastest Indian, Fracture, Beowulf, Thor, uh, all three Thor movies, and he was even in a Transformers movie, Transformers The Last Night. Um, for his performance in Silence of the Lambs, he won the Best Actor Oscar. Um, he was also nominated for Best Actor for two other movies, nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Amistad. Uh, he's won three BAFTA awards. He's been nominated for six Golden Globes Award. He's also won two Primetime Emmys. He's had six nominations for Outstanding Performance from the Screen Actors Guild. Um and he was also, after starring in Silence of the Lambs, knighted by the Queen of England, which is why he is now known as Sir Anthony Hopkins. Uh, coming up third, Ted Levine, uh, Ted Levine, excuse me, as James Gum, uh, also known as Buffalo Bill in this movie. Uh, his career started off in theater. Uh, this was his first big role. He was later, he was in Nowhere to Run with Jean-Claude Van Damme, Nowhere Man, uh, he was on Pacino, Pacino's um, squad in Heat. He was in Flubber, Wild Wild West, uh, the Wonderland TV show. He was in the Fast and the Furious. I think the first, I think the first movie. He was Paul Walker's boss. Um, he was in Ali. He voiced Sinestro on the Justice League series. He was in the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, the Hills Have Eyes, American Gangster. He spent seven years on the TV show Monk. Uh, he was on Shutter Island. He was in the Ray Donovan show for a little while. So three very, very accomplished actors with a lot of good work. Um, the movie itself grossed $137 million domestically, about double that, $272 million worldwide on a $19 million budget. So uh, that's the definition of a Hollywood success. Also, the only horror movie to ever win Best Picture. One of only four nominated, the other three being Exorcist, Jaws, and Get Out from, uh, that's Key and Peele, right? Get Out? Yeah. Yeah. Ducky and Bunny. Silence of the Lambs is widely considered one of the 100 greatest films of all time and one of the top, you know, five to seven thrillers of all time. American Film Institute has it as the fifth best thriller behind Psycho, Jaws, The Exorcist, and North by Northwest. Uh, if you're not familiar with North by Northwest, that's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. 
Um, and it's just ahead of Alien. So, you know, big, big, big time movies. It's the third movie ever to sweep the big five act, uh, the big five Oscars at the Academy Awards. Best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best adapted, uh, excuse me, best adapted screenplay. The first was It Happened One Night, starring Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. And the second one was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, starring the great Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratched. I've seen that film. It was pretty good. That tells you everything you need to know about Nick's taste in movies, that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was, quote, pretty good. Um, Hannibal Lecter, played by Sir Anthony Hopkins, widely considered the greatest villain in cinema history. Um, Clarice Sterling, played by Jodie Foster, widely considered one of the greatest heroes in cinematic history. As if all that wasn't enough, the poster for Silence of the Lambs was named the best film poster of the last 35 years in a, uh, by a, an art association in 2006. Rotten Tomatoes, 96% cinema score of A-. Roger Ebert, Gave it three and a half stars in 91 when it came out. Uh, when he revisited it 10 years later, he upped that to four stars. So very, 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 very high number of accolades for this movie. Um, all of which will let you uh, form an opinion of Nick's taste in movies as we move along. Um, Silence of the Lambs, straight up psychological thriller. Clarice Starling's an FBI trainee in the behavioral science unit. Uh, she's called in to see if she can get anything out of Hannibal, who is a prisoner during this movie, um, related to the search for a new serial killer who goes by the name of Buffalo Bill. Things pick up about halfway through. Buffalo Bill kidnaps a senator's daughter, um, and that's where you know the movie starts to really, really take off in terms of pace and speed and, and action. Um, so that's... You know, uh, so unfortunately, the quick synopsis of this movie takes a while because there's so much to say, so many big stars, so many accolades, but that's where we are. And uh, I think now, Nick, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, so you can go first. And what are your general impressions of Silence of the Lambs? Well, first, I want to make two comments on your little spiel right there. Number one, did you not like One Fools Over the Cuckoo Nest? Did you not like that movie? Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is one of the best movies in cinema history. I would not describe it as pretty good. All right. Well, that's just the way you describe it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, but two, I mean, I, I think that I could think of two better villains ever than this guy. I mean, if you don't want to count Thanos as, as one of them because he's a comic book guy, then sure. I mean, the guy literally wiped out, you know, half the population by snapping his fingers. But Vader is way better than this guy. Vader is way better. But that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. I It's, it's interesting. Uh, speaking of Vader, I think if you go back and watch the first three movies, Vader is a mystique. Uh, Vader does not actually do much of anything in, in the, the original three movies. Star Wars movies, the first time you really get to see what an absolute badass Vader is, is at the end of Rogue yes. One. Yes. You know, 40 year 40 years after the original movie came out is when Vader became an absolute badass. You know, and they explained it away. 
it, it, you know, back in the seventies, it was difficult to act with the big costume and all that. There was no digital effects. So, you know, Vader was not a terribly impressive villain, but they, they, I, I will admit they did a great job of building up his mystique and selling him as, uh, this horrible, vicious, um, Sith Lord. But you know, if you, if you actually watch those movies with a discerning eye, Vader's not that big a deal. All right. Justin, you want to throw your two cents in on, on a, a, a villain real quick, or you don't got any on oh, your head? I don't know. I got. I mean, there's you know, there's plenty I've seen throughout different movies and shows. Um, one that stands above the rest. Um, and I think of the Joker. You know, Batman. Um, obviously Heath Ledger and his performance in The Dark Knight. Um, which is one of my favorite movies. I'll I'll stop. I'll stop you but right like, there you know, and say Heath Ledger wasn't even the best Joker. Forget the best villain. I know there are plenty of Batman movies that I have yet to see. So from um, until I see those, I'm going to go with him okay. as the best Joker. But as you guys mentioned, plenty of uh, villains throughout, um, you know, movies and shows that are that are, um, you know, tremendous. And, um, you know, ones you think of immediately when, you know, that word's thrown around. Sure. So this. I'll, th- I'll throw one out there for everybody. The Sheriff of Nottingham from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Okay. Another great, okay. great, great movie villain. Now, to your to your point, Nick, I, I don't think I would include Thanos. I probably wouldn't include Joker because I would view them more as, you know, comic book villains as opposed to movie oh, villains. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Um, you know, so, so much of, of watching a movie with Thanos or watching a movie with Joker so much of your perception is wrapped up in what you already know about that mm-hmm. character. So I think it's it's really hard to judge them as just a cinematic villain. Um, but I do agree, Thanos, Joker, uh, both Jokers, Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger were both great. Uh, I just think Jack Nicholson was a little bit better. But in terms of a, a cinema villain, I, I probably would not put them on that list. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so Nick, everybody's waiting to hear it. What did you think of that? Um, so I'll, I'll start with objectively first. Um, objectively, for a genre that I don't like, thriller, horror, anything like that, I think the film did exactly what it was intending to do. I think that they hit on all the key points. I think they made you sit on the edge of your seat from the beginning of the film all the way to the end with this story uh, about Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter um, and all of, of the, the nasty little things in between. Overall, uh, from the uh, objective standpoint, I think that there's a lot of great content and that's why you see all of these actors winning these awards and why, as you mentioned, Michael, it won the Big Five. Um, but you guys don't care objectively. You guys just want to know what I think. Um this is not my kind of movie. Not my kind of movie at all. Uh, didn't really like it. I kind of found myself doing other things to stay interested. It was one of the first times to where I, I really just kind of got bored at certain points and I just like had to force myself to continue watching. No points that I sit there and say that I don't want to watch it because I'm too disgusted or grossed out, but I got to the point where I'm just like, I don't, I don't care enough to continue to watch this movie. Um... Uh, I'm kind of interested to see what people would think about the movie in today. Um, I got a certain vibe from it. 
um, that I think we'll talk about a little bit later in terms of Buffalo Bill and, and that character and, and what that character is all about. Um, and then I have, you know, three big questions um, about the film that also kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, afterwards but uh, you know overall Michael uh, you know I, I didn't like it that much uh, if if at all um, my score will definitely uh, be very very uh, telltale about what I thought of it but not my cup of tea and not something that I would ever go to watch again or encourage other people to watch The Silence of the Lambs um, has been the best movie we've seen thus far um, you know, even though we've only seen five films, to me, best film we've seen so far. We? You mean you? Um, all right. Um, I would definitely not have watched this film if it wasn't for this podcast, um, you know, being forced to watch it. But I am happy um, that I did watch it. This is bold, but it's all about me right now. <laughs> this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it's genre, you know, a horror, is not even my cup of tea. This is probably, um, I've only seen a handful of horrors or scary movies. I've um, generally stayed away from those films um, in my lifetime. I'm more of the, you know, comedy, action, adventure um, guy. But um, this movie was awesome. Uh, Between um, the different performances, uh, the different scenes what this movie set out to do, you know, to be extremely uh, creepy and weird. Um, I was beyond attached to the story and the different events that occurred. Um, Anthony Hopkins' performance is, is one I will never forget. And I don't think there is a Silence of the Lambs without him and how he portrayed Hannibal Lecter. And uh, I also thought uh, Jodie Foster was um, tremendous. And I enjoyed um, Scott Glenn's performance as Jack Crawford. But, you know, as a whole... Um, this movie was awesome. Only question I have is, and I and and I'll ask it now is uh, how Hannibal, you know, got his hands on that pen when he was getting ready to be, uh, you know, shipped to Memphis. I think I, I can, I can lend some of my background knowledge there. Um, so in the movie, obviously, you know, while, um. The uh, what's his name? Uh, Clister or Chister, the warden mm-hmm. of the prison he's in. The or not, not the warden, the the head psychiatrist guy. Uh, it starts with a C. I can't remember. Um, you see in the scene when he's in there with Hannibal Lecter, he he has his pen out, and it's on the table, and you see Hannibal look at it, and then it kind of just skips ahead. And, and there's another scene where the guy's looking for his pen to sign something and he can't find it. So the implication there is that he left the pen in Hannibal's uh, room at the prison and nobody caught it and didn't realize it. And they took Hannibal out of his shackles and he hid the pen somehow before they noticed it. There's a little more background in the book, uh, which they didn't really have time to put into the movie. But in the book, because this is based on a novel, um, Thomas Harris, I believe, is is the author's name. In the book, uh, an orderly who was there on a Sunday, so it was like the one day that the main orderly had off or he was out sick or something, someone else came in and inadvertently left a pen in his room. He took that pen, filed it against 
like a loose bolt on his bed, which was the only metal object that he could find, filed it down, you know, took out the interior piece, filed it down to a, a point, and then uh, cut himself and and put the pin in the cut under his skin and let it let the skin heal over it and then waited years for them to put him in handcuffs as opposed to the normal straps. So there's a little more background in the book that you don't get in the movie. It, it is the, probably the only unexplainable weak point of the movie, but there is a, a very long narrative explaining how that occurs in, in the source material. My impression, this is one of the best movies of all time. It is without a doubt, top 10 thriller of all time. I think the the general conception that this is in the top 100 movies of all time is is absolutely justified. Um, interestingly enough, I when I was your age, when I was in my mid-20s, I also believed that I did not like horror movies um, until I started watching good horror movies. You know, growing up, I thought, okay, horror movies are Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you know, the Jason movies, Friday the 13th, Halloween, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, things like that. I had never seen any of those. No, no desire to see any of them. I didn't watch Saw when Saw came out, when you get the, the torture porn genre. Um, you know, I don't like blood and guts. Uh, but the first probably true horror movie I watched was The Shining with Jack Nicholson, which is phenomenal uh one of the greatest movies of all time i watched alien which is a horror movie one of the greatest movies of all time um jaws is is a horror movie one of the greatest movies of all time the thing with uh kurt russell the yeah the the preeminent wyatt earp of all film history um the thing was phenomenal those are all movies i saw in my late 20s and early 30s for the first time and now if you look at my movie shelf and by shelf i mean like 20 shelves um i have grouped by genre and other than your kind of general drama horror is the biggest section because really good horror movies are really really good um, for me to watch a horror movie, it, it's going to have to be a great movie to get through it. So I, I think if you guys explore the genre a little more, you might find that it's not just your your blood and guts, you know, jump out and scare you horror. But the horror genre encompasses a lot of stuff out there. Thrillers, you know, psychological thrillers like Silence of the Lambs, um, you know, all kinds of, of great movies out there. So one day. 28 Days Later, another another great one that came out in the early 2000s, so we won't be able to watch it in on this podcast. Um, but, you know, really crazy stuff. Zombieland, I just recently watched for the first time with Woody Harrelson. Um, actually, in, in doing research for White Men Can't Jump, I came across that movie and, and watched it. Uh, loved it. Absolutely. It's on Netflix right now. Check it out. But I think you guys would be pleasantly surprised if you go out and look at the very best of the horror genre. As Randy Jackson would say, that's a no for me, dog. Yeah, it looks like uh, Nick Nick doesn't care and doesn't know what good movies are. So and That's a no for me, dog. 
All right. So we, that's everybody's general thoughts. Uh, we've got two people who absolutely love it. And then we've got Nick who thinks that 12 monkeys gets a five. Um, so moving right along, Justin, this is going to be a difficult, difficult category. They're all, they're probably all going to be difficult this week. I don't know, Michael. Best, best scene for me, I got that locked up. Best performance. You've got a lot to choose from here. I really do, but given what I've already stated, um, that was Anthony Hopkins for me um, as Hannibal Lecter. Um, you know, in '92, won an Academy Award um, for Best Actor. Um, but it, you know, there's much more to it than just that. Um, every scene he's in, he steals. Just like some of the other actors and actresses we've seen throughout other movies, um, you know, every scene he's in, he steals. Um, you know, attention, the focus is on him. Every interaction uh, between him and uh, Clarice had me on the edge of my seat. I really wanted to know what he had to say as Clarice tried to get insight out of him in regards to Buffalo Bill. And also I was really interested in how um, he handled himself and how he reacted to what uh, Clarice had to say. Um, you know, like I said, there's no silence of the lambs without him with how he portrayed Hannibal Lecter. And, you know, just as, as the movie went along, I just kept counting things or scenes that he was in and um, just had a crazy, um, you know, part to different scenes, whether it's the first time he meets Clarice or whether it's he breaks out of the uh, the courthouse in um, in Tennessee or I mean, I even like the at the end with the phone call to Clarice after, you know, she was being celebrated for her work in the case. So. I mean, an argument could be made for Jodie Foster as as Clarice, but I went with Hopkins. Um, and one more time, I don't think there is a Silence of the Lambs without him. I I would agree, but at the same time, I don't think there's a Silence of the Lambs without Jodie Foster either. And it it took the both of them to make this movie what it was. Um, but just kind of piggybacking on on your comments for a minute, Justin. Think about how you felt every time Anthony Hopkins was on screen. I mean, the first time we see him, he's standing at attention waiting for Clarice to come see him. He's in a, for those who haven't seen the movie, which I hope is no one, he's in a cell, which is, you know, basically carved out of rock with a bulletproof glass front that he can't get out of. He's been in there, I think, eight or 10 years at the beginning of the movie. So it's well established. He can't get out of this cell. And yet you're terrified for Clarice of what he's going to do. He's locked up. He can't do anything. But it's his his presence on the screen is terrifying. You know, I'll say this not to interrupt you. Um, him standing like ready for her, expecting her with, you know, with the chair outside of his cell um, is a lot more powerful than if it was just him laying down or, or slouched right. somewhere. And I, I, I also think, you know, him standing at attention is is welcoming in a sense, not only for Clarice, but for us. I agree. I agree. 
Have you guys um, seen, and uh, I feel almost dumb asking, 2001 A Space Odyssey? No. No. Okay. For those of you out there who don't know, 2001 A Space Odyssey is a... Um, it's a movie that came out 70s, I think. Um, it was phenomenal. I believe it's Ridley Scott, um, one of his earlier movies. And the uh, Hal is the computer. So the, the concept of the movie is there's basically a guy out there in space who... All he has as a companion is is the the onboard computer. Sorry, it's not Ridley Scott. It's a Stanley Kubrick. My apologies to Stanley Kubrick and his fans. Um, came out in 1968. So yeah, right right before the 70s. So this guy's out in space, and his only company companion is the computer. This artificial intelligence system. Uh, Anthony Hopkins said that that's what he based his role on. He wanted his his character of Hannibal Lecter to basically be a machine. And knowing that, you know, I, I only read that in, in getting ready for the podcast, but you can definitely see the, the parallels between there. It's this emotionless, logical being that, you know, there's nothing except what he's talking about right at that moment. There's nothing else in the world that matters except whatever is on his mind at, at that particular second. Um, now, do I think that gives him the best performance? Do I think that can top Jodie Foster? Cause, cause Jodie Foster was an absolute stud in this movie. Um, but I, I do agree with Justin. I think you've got to give it to Anthony Hopkins here. Um, the, the very fact that he's on screen for like 16 minutes in the movie and yet you come away from it feeling like, he was omnipresent. You know, he was his character lorded over that in every second of that movie. So you watch a two hour movie and, you know, normally if there's a guy in it for 15 minutes, it's like, OK, great. You know, it's it's hard to make as big an impact as he did in as little time as he had. Um, you know, I, I we we discussed that a little bit about Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys. He wasn't on the screen a whole lot. But he really stole the scenes that he was in. Anthony Hopkins does that in Silence of the Lambs to to a much greater degree. You know, almost, you know, I, I would think maybe to to add some uh, recent history, probably similar to how Jeff Goldblum is in Thor Ragnarok, where Jeff Goldblum just dominates the screen in, in the few scenes that he's in um, in a very, very, very different way. But I'm going to give it to uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins and say he's got the best performance. Nick? It's very appropriate of you giving him the Sir title, Michael, because he was... Pretty much as a result of this movie. I always wondered... Yeah, well, I really always wondered how uh, people who are not part of the royal family ever get the opportunity or someone decides that that's going to happen. Um do you like you fill out an application for that or something? Like, what's the uh, what's the deal with that? Um, I think it's it's probably similar. You know, it's a civilian honor under the English uh, throne. 
Um, it's probably mm-hmm. very similar to like the Medal of Honor in the United States, but I don't know. What I'll do is I'll do some research and I'll report back on that next week. I'm looking forward to that. Um, this is off topic, but I'm also looking forward to the list of people who should be in jail that we talked about in our <laughs> previous podcast. If you guys want to you know, catch up with us on that at some point, we definitely want to get onto that. Uh, as for best performance, uh, kind of just going to piggyback off what you guys said. Uh, it, it has to be Sir Anthony Hopkins for his creepy, controlling, manipulative uh, performance as Dr. Lecter. Uh, for what it's worth, you know, Michael, you hit the nail right on the head. You don't really talk about characters that have so little screen time, especially when the entire film isn't necessarily revolving around them. Um, he has a very important role, as Justin has mentioned, and really the film, uh, you know, weighs heavily on his performance just as well as it relates heavily on Jodie Foster's performance as uh, Clarice Sterling. Uh, but I think with the way that he kind of commands everything, with the way that your attention is focused on him, especially the great camera work that they do, I think that really has um, an implication on why so many people feel the way that they do about him with the close-ups and the way that he just kind of stares emotionlessly into the camera. You have that sense of uh, control on his end and lack thereof on the viewer's end and anyone else that's in the room. Uh, for the film's end. So I would have to say for the first time uh, in 90s DVD Rewind history, the best performance has been swept three for three to Sir Anthony Hopkins. Let the confetti fall. Great job, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Um, You know, it is is fitting that he should be the first in this role. Um, You know, as much as, as you guys know, I like to pull out those other performances that I think really make a movie, but aren't lauded as much as others. But, you know, no, no matter how hard I tried, I, I could not, could not give it to anyone not named Sir Anthony Hopkins. All right. So that moves us to today in the nineties, Justin, what you got coming at us? I got two things for you guys. July 30th, in 1991, heavy metal band Metallica released their single Enter Sandman. Um, that's a song I feel like a lot of people know or have at least heard the intro to that. And uh, Nick, we should get that going through a yeah. break that we have. We should get that song playing. Um, and also very impactful from a sports standpoint. Um you know, everyone thinks I'm going to say uh, Mo, Mo Mariano Rivera, um, Hall of Fame Yankees closer first, but I am not. I'm going to go with the Virginia Tech Hokies um, <laughs> football entrance as the players are about to run out on onto Lane Stadium. Um, you know, you have 66,000 fans uh, jumping up and down uh, to the beginning of Enter Sandman, and um, I felt like it was going to be an earthquake. I felt like there was an earthquake happening when I was in the stadium. Yeah, I know. I had a couple, couple times we, you know, we've been able, um, I guess, to generate. Um, you registered on the Richter scale yes, before? Yes, we have. Wow. So um, to be a part of that for four years and hopefully, you know, more times in the future, um, just just awesome. You know, you know, something, you know, something I'll never forget. 
And, um, you know, also, you know, anytime, uh, you know, like I said, Mario and Rivera came out to close out a game for the Yankees, um, you know, Enter Sandman would play. So just a very um, prevalent song and a very, uh, I'd say, legendary song. In the, in the, the interest of full disclosure, I believe we've we've revealed this before. Justin is a hokey. Um, and for myself, Metallica was my first favorite band not named the monkeys. Uh, the monkeys were my favorite from probably six years old on to about 11. Uh, and then on a, on a bright summer day, I was out sitting on the corner of my, where my house is the corner of the street. Uh, my friend, my friend Billy walks by with his buddy, Zach, Zach's got a Walkman. This is before the iPod days. You know, we're talking about maybe 1991 here. Um, and he said, hey, Mike, check this out. And I put on the headphones and it was uh, Master of Puppets, which is Metallica's third album. And from that day to today, Metallica is my favorite band, although I do not listen to anything that they released after 1991 when uh, the Black Album came out with Enter Sandman and, and some other great songs. Uh, Sad But True. Uh, the God That Failed, Struggle Within, not a lot of good stuff on that album. You should all check it out. And uh, the last thing I have, uh, July 27th, 1999, Tony Hawk became the first skateboarder to land a 900. And for those of you who don't know what that is, um, that is a, a two and a half revolution aerial spin. Um, I'd go check it out. Um Nick, we went to a um, jam, Tony Hawk, Boom Boom Hawk jam back in, uh, I believe, 2005, if I'm not mistaken, and um, devastating uh, result for me. I actually fell asleep um, when he landed, attempted and landed um, a 900. Yeah, Um, so much fun. So thoughts and prayers (laughs) for me. But we did go. Just, just, Justin, why didn't you have like a brother there to wake you up? Uh, His father could I have woken him up too. Might, uh, <laughs> I think I was. I think. I think. I think. Um, Dad was sitting between yeah, us. He was. I really don't remember. But um, you know, Tony Hawk. I feel like a lot of people, just like with Anderson, man, a lot of people know Tony Hawk, um, who he is. Uh, you know, most iconic, uh, best skateboarder of all time. Um, you guys have any comments? Oh, I have a lot of comments about him. Isn't it in, isn't it insane? Isn't it insane that that as great as Tony Hawk is, probably still today one of the best skaters in the world. Um, and and I knew him when I was like eight years old. I heard his name. A couple of my friends were skaters. They talked about Tony Hawk. Uh, you know, we're talking in the late '80s. And what Tony Hawk is best known for is his name is on a video game. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people that don't know that. I mean, you you got to be pretty big to create your own video game. And, you know, it's it's really crazy on how other people have tried to create other games like Skate. And they're like, that's cool, but like ain't Tony Hawk. You know, I think one of the greatest games I've ever played is Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Um, you know, legendary sort of stuff. And we're talking about a game that was played on the PlayStation 1. But, you know, Justin, that that day that you were talking about, I believe it was at, uh, I think it was the X Games to where uh, Tony Hawk, he had attempted it a couple times and he had failed. 
and everyone was kind of like sitting on the edge of their seat and the judges knew like he's the only guy that we know of that that could do that and if he does land it i mean it's going to be the win and when you watch him go up in the air for that final time to do you know that move the 900 which had never been done before and he lands it it was just such an iconic breakthrough and it started this huge revolution of getting the word out and basically put skating on the map like this guy is taking what we're doing to another level and anybody that is skating now anybody that's you know working on a tape or trying to like you know bust a move or whatever like you owe it all to tony hawk like he did this for you he paved the way for what skating and bmx and all these big things are about now because if he didn't do any of that stuff i don't think any of those kind of things would be um as watched maybe as big you know, and I think a lot of people that maybe names that people know right now, like Sean White, like I don't know if there's like a Sean White without Tony Hawk. I I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, like the, probably the the closest analog of of the last 10, 12 years to what Tony Hawk was in the eighties and early nineties would be Sean White. And Absolutely. he and he was incredible and he you know, he, he was in amazing uh for the country and all the gold medals that he won, but it, it's people like that that get to those kind of uh pedestals because of everyone that came before him and tony hawk was the guy he did it and now all we have all these great skaters out there uh great bikers out there that have big names that have done great tricks i mean i think that what'd you say justin it was two and a half uh revolutions yes sir i think there was a guy that did like three and a half recently or like a while ago like someone's even done more so you know everyone's taking it up to the next level but you know, it's all, they're all gunning for how do I get as good as him? You know, how do I, how can I be the next Tony Hawk? That was great, Justin. Um, good stuff there. Thank you. Last thing on Tony Hawk, other than following uh, 90s DVD Rewind on Twitter, give Tony Hawk a follow on Twitter. Oh, dude, he's he so good. He encounters, um, you know, people all the time. And um, the conversations <laughs> he posts on Twitter with other people, um, are just hysterical, so go give him a follow. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Justin, you did you see the one to where he went on the airplane and they were like, do you skate? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, that's cool, man. And they had no idea that it was Tony Hawk. <laughs> or I think one time someone asked him if he was him and he said, yeah, and someone responded, how? <laughs> um, I don't know how you respond to that question. Or I think it was why uh, it was it was something funny like that. Oh my god! But um, that is all I have for today in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. So speaking of of his Twitter, he he recently posted. This was just the past couple of days. I remember seeing it. He posted something like he was at a skate park and a, and a kid comes up to him and goes, "Are you Tony Hawk?" And he goes, "Yeah." And the kid goes, "No, you're not." He goes, "All right, <laughs> I'm not." And the kid goes, "No, but for real, are you?" And he says, yeah, I am for real. And the kid goes, I thought you'd look younger. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, you forget. I mean, he, Tony Hawk's got, he's got to be in his 50s. Yeah, he's really old. I mean, he's, he's. Old family with kids and everything. Man, that's funny. That is quite funny. You... So that, that was, that was an amusing uh, anecdote from his Twitter. But yeah, he is a good follow. I agree with that. All right. And he is. Yeah, what's his I'm age, looking Michael? Looking up right what's now. Yeah. Age? 
He's fif- 51 years old. People thought he'd be younger. That's too funny. Yeah. All right, well, Justin, good stuff. Good stuff with today in the 90s. Uh, we're going to step aside for a second. We're going to come back, give you best scene. We have the sports interlude. Uh, I think we're going to change funniest scene to creepiest scene due to the genre that we are talking about. We have our overall recap. And the next movie that we're going to watch, I think a lot of you guys are going to be happy about that. A little tease on that. It's a movie Michael's never seen. All right. So that's going to be something We're going to switch roles yeah. for a week. Week six, five of my movies, one of that yours. That sounds like a great idea. All right, so you are listening to 90s DVD Rewind. We will be right back. You guys are listening to 90s DVD Rewind, episode numero cinco. That's number five for all you non-Spanish people out there. I barely know Spanish. I think I can only count up to ten, but... We'll be talking Silence of the Lambs. Best scene is coming up right now. But before we do that, we want to make sure that you guys are hitting that follow button on Twitter, at 90Rewind. That's at 90Rewind. Or Facebook, that's at 90SDVDRewind, at 90SDVDRewind. A lot of places to listen to us. Anchor would be number one. You can also hit up Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher Radio Public, Spotify, a bunch of other things as well, all on the Anchor website. If you want to check us out there, subscribe, give us five stars, tell us how great of a job we're doing, or just tell us how bad of a job Michael's doing. It doesn't matter. We want you to give us all the great feedback in the world. So, guys, best scene. I think I'm going to steal the show right now, okay? You guys are going to be blown away by this. My best scene was when it ended. And I'll tell you why. You're sitting there, and the black comes up, and you're like, oh, finally, it's over. And then you don't have to watch this movie anymore. And that might tell you how much I dislike this scene. I'm going to dispel that notion right now, because at the end of the movie, the credits do not run over a black screen. The credits run over a continuing long shot of the island, I believe, of Bimini or something like that. So I don't even remember. You know, your credits your credits start running, but they're over a an actual shot, color shot, bright as day. Black um, as that night. is when you see you see Hannibal Lecter uh, starting to follow Chilton. I think that's his name. Uh, starting to follow Chilton because he he. Uh, on his final phone call with Clarice Sterling, he says, I'm going to be having a friend for dinner, which is a uh, little double meaning there for all you cannibal enthusiasts. So that's a terrible, terrible best scene. Um, I am going to flip this a little bit because I know that Justin is having some trouble deciding on which of his favorite scenes to nominate as best scene. So rather than potentially eliminating one of his options, I'm going to switch this around and I'm going to give you the worst scene. Um, There's only one bad scene in this movie and it is when Clarice is in um, the house of Buffalo Bill, um, whose real name in the movie is James Gum. An interesting backstory to that guy's the uh, in the book, 
The reason his name is James, J-A-M-E, instead of James, is because his mother was a drug addict prostitute, and she spelled it James wrong on the birth certificate. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why his name is James Gum instead of James Gum. Um, but in in uh, the house that James Gum is staying in, where he is keeping um, his prisoners in, in the drywall in the basement, Clarice shows up there hoping to interview someone that she thinks might know something about this guy, uh, not realizing it's him, of course. Um, she realizes while she's in the house that he's the guy. He flips out. He runs into the basement, grabs his gun, runs into the basement. She runs after him. Um, she's talking to the senator's daughter saying, stay there. I have to leave the room. Senator's daughter is freaking out, screaming and cursing at her. Um, she go then Clarice goes into a side room and Buffalo Bill hits the lights and all the lights go out and Buffalo Bill has night vision goggles and this scene a looked horrible because you're seeing it through the green night vision goggles and then they keep transposing that with like a close-up shot of him with the night goggles but with a light shining on him so you can see him Obviously, if it's pitch black, there's no light shining on anybody. I thought that looked really bad. And this is the only place where Jodie Foster's acting is not up to par. And I don't think you can expect anyone to do a good job here. It's it's almost like it, it reminds me a lot of the Blair Witch Project um, when you had, you know, people filming in the dark and running around and screaming. And uh, it was almost that same level of amateur film. Um she was just, it, it was terrible. Like she's fumbling around. Um, Buffalo Bill is like reaching out and, and almost touching her over and over again. She has no idea he's there. He's too close. There's no way you wouldn't be able to hear someone or you wouldn't sense them moving that close to you. He could have killed her easily right there and chose not to for some reason. Um, that it's, it's the one scene that really bothers me in the movie. So my best scene, I'm going to flip it and say the entire movie is the best scene except for this one horrible scene. So now, Justin, you're going to have to pick between your multiple options for best um, scene. Okay. As you were talking, I locked in on my best scene and it's, it's Hannibal's escape from the cage like cell, uh, at the Tennessee courthouse. Um, you know, you know, the the beginning of that scene, um, you know, the officers come in um, to give him his dinner. Um, and that's when you see him kind of uh, like spit out, you know, the, uh, the part of the pen comes up out of his mouth that he uses to, um, you know, pick the lock on the handcuff and just times everything perfectly is able to get his cuffs um, on another officer while, you know, the other end of the cuff is attached to the cell and, um, you know, kill both of the officers even hung one up with the flags like through that room in the courthouse. It was a very disturbing image. Very. But um, one that I'll, that, that I'll remember given how disturbing it was. And just ultimately um, his plan to escape and then to take someone out, you know, in the ambulance. Um, you know, he has the one guy tied up with the flags. He has the other guy on top of the elevator um bleeding dressed as him 
while he has then thrown on uh, one of the officer's clothes and even cut off and has placed his face over top of his to then be transported to the ambulance and then to take out, um, you know, the guy in there. Eventually, um, I remember uh, in a conversation other characters have, he was he killed someone at the airport and eventually, you know, got away and like took his things. So just, um, you know, his, you know, his performance there and just, um, you know, how crazy everything is, you know, everything was for that like 15 minute span. Um, that was the best scene for me. Um, two other ones that came to mind, I ultimately didn't go with, um, was Clarence, uh, Clarice's, excuse me, and Hannibal's first encounter. And, um, you know, now that you mentioned it, Michael, that last scene, um, you know, really isn't up to par with the rest of the movie. Now, now that you met, you know, you, you've mentioned some things, but I also had that uh, in consideration for my best scene. And I think that was more of, you know, me being on the edge of my seat, uh, my heart beating fast, you know, me wanting for like Clarice to get out of it. Um, but that scene, um, it doesn't match, you know, the other two that I've mentioned. Sure. And and just to clarify for our listeners out there, the, the scene... Um, that Justin's talking about what happens is uh, Hannibal kills two of the police officers. Uh, one of them, he, he stores the body in the elevator shaft, but he cuts off that guy's face and makes a mask and he covers his own face with the cops cut off face. And that's how he gets out. They think he's the other cop and he's still alive. So they try and get him out into an ambulance and and that's the master plan for Hannibal Lecter to escape police custody. And it works brilliantly. I want to comment on your <clears throat> scene, Justin. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, it reminded me of a Batman villain called Hush. Michael, I don't know how up to date you are on Batman villains. I love Hush. I love everything that uh, uh, Jeff Loeb and his partner have done in terms of Batman, Marvel, everything they've done is phenomenal. But uh, yeah, the, the whole um, thing with Hush is that he kidnaps people and cuts uh, all of them up to stitch together a, a face. I believe it's to impersonate Bruce Wayne because he feels like Bruce Wayne has ruined his life. Um, and that's why he has come upon all of these terrible tragedies. So when the either with the whole face cutting thing, I was like, oh, it's it's like Hush, except Hush did it to a lot of people, like a, a lot of people, to make a copy of Bruce Wayne's face. But a little, little side note on that: very Batman heavy today. I love Batman. Who doesn't? Batman is great. Who doesn't like Batman? That's, that's a, some some people don't. I don't understand why. Somewhere out there. Um, I also I'd like to put in an honorable mention here for most influential scene. Um, the three of us are from New Jersey. New Jersey is the home, or, or at least where where the great director Kevin Smith grew up, made his movies Clerks, Mallrats, uh, Dogma, Chasing Amy, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, the character of Jay, played by Jay Muse, also of New Jersey fame, um, has many, uh, um, I don't recall exactly which movie it's in. I know it's in a color movie. 
Um, but he basically redoes the scene of Buffalo Bill dancing naked in the room. Um, so in terms of most influential cinematic scene, uh, that scene has been replayed in the, uh, the view askew universe of Kevin Smith. Hmm. So I, I feel like I got to throw that out there. All right. <clears throat> Good. Good stuff. Justin, let me, let me ask you this with so many scenes to choose from. Was this the first film that you had that many scenes across the board, kind of like, you know, right on top of each other and so hard to choose from? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, can even make an argument that this this whole movie was it was the best scene, like you know Michael had kind of said, um, after having you know picked uh, his worst scene because I you know I really did enjoy this film and thought you know just about every scene was was powerful um, and impactful and 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 important you know for the plot and for the story and for the different characters. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're gonna <clears throat> bounce on over to our sports interlude we have a lot of stuff going on in the world of sports but i think i wanted to just stick to the big thing that had just happened recently as the mlb trade deadline has come and gone some big names were moved around the mets acquired former blue jays pitcher marcus stroman for some reason, the Phillies wanted to have Jason Vargas and all of the turmoil that he has caused when it comes to the media. A big three-team deal that sent the Cleveland Indians' Trevor Bauer to Cincinnati. And while Yasiel Puig was throwing punches to the Pittsburgh Pirates, he got shipped to Cleveland. And I think the biggest name of all of them was Zach Granke headed to the Houston Astros to add in with the firepower that they have with Verlander and the crew. But guys, I got to say, even though I've mentioned a couple big names here and there, very disappointed in certain teams, especially with the two big names when it comes to the most World Series wins in the National League, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the American League, the New York Yankees. Historic franchises sat on their hands, guys, and it wasn't just them. It was a lot of teams, and I'm not really sure why. So many people are enamored with prospects when most of the time they don't pan out. It seemed like everybody was afraid to pull the trigger. Michael, you've been watching this sport a lot longer than we have been alive, so I, I just want to you know, get your opinion first before you know, I hear from Justin. But like, like, what do you feel the issue is with today's evaluation of talent versus what it used to be back then? Um, I think we've gotten to a point where, uh, and maybe the analytics back it up, but I think draft picks are, are too overrated at this point. Um, you know, of all the professional sports in the world, and I'll, and I'll include soccer and cricket in that, baseball is the one where uh, there's no guarantee for anybody. I mean, there have been a lot of number one overall picks who don't even get to the major leagues. You know, I I mean, it's not like the NFL where, yeah, you're going to have a bust once in a while. um, But, you know, 25 of of the 30 guys in the first round are going to be at least productive NFL players. It's got, you know, baseball has the, the biggest minor league of anything. It's got the longest time before you actually get to the top level. Um, it's just, it's insane. Again, maybe 
the uh, maybe the analytics back it up, but uh, you know, it's almost getting to the point of the NFL where they they value draft picks more than actual players. Um, I don't know. I, I, well, the one thing I can tell you is if if you're a baseball team, you should not trade with the Cleveland Indians <laughs> ever for any reason. Um, this this most recent trade aside, uh, I love Trevor Bauer. Uh, everything about him. I'm very sad to see him leave Cleveland. I I wish him all the luck in in Cincinnati, f- about four hours south. Um, but you know there was ESPN put out an article a couple weeks ago of you know the the best and worst trade deadlines or trade deadline trades for each team, and um, I think four of the other 29 teams their worst trade. Cleveland was on the other side. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Cle- Cleveland has a a very long illustrious history of fleecing teams at the trade deadline. Um, so I, I would not be surprised. Um, you know, the young guy they got, Reyes, looks good. Twenty seven home runs this year. Puig obviously is a monster. I remember several years ago, um, my boss goes to spring training every year to watch the Indians. Mm-hmm. And he'll go to, while he's down there, he'll go, he'll pretty much see every team playing in Arizona. And he came back the first year that Puig was was in L.A. He came back to the office and he said, mark my words, there's this guy Puig on the Dodgers. He is going to be phenomenal. Um, he said he is the closest thing to Bo Jackson since Bo Jackson. Um he obviously, you know, his head is a little, a little messed up. He has not turned out to be quite the talent, but definitely has the skill. Um, interesting fact: this the the trade um, for Puig and Reyes. It is the first time ever in the history of baseball that two players with twenty plus home runs were traded to the same team in the same trade. Hmm. Wow! So you know, baseball. Always giving you something new, you know, been around 130 plus years, but always something new, something that's never been done before. Pretty amazing. Say, Nick, to hit on your uh, Cardinals Yankees point, uh, I'm not too shocked. Our Cardinals didn't do anything. Um, you know, hearing, and, uh, you know, hearing a lot of reports that, you know, teams holding guys, um, you know, guys who could be valuable as far as making a, a push. You know, for the postseason and you know eventually winning a World Series, um, you know, teams were asking for like way too much. Like y- you saw Edwin Diaz, you know Mets closer not going anywhere. You know, hearing how you know his price was too high. So um, but it seems like, you know, Bader the Cardinals, for Zach Wheeler. I didn't see that at all, but high. I'm not going to fight you on that. Um, but as far as the Yankees go, um, you know, given the position they're in, um, you know, definitely, you know. One of the teams that can, you know, win the World Series to not go get a starter is extremely questionable given, you know, they're going to go, they're going to have to go face, you know, Houston at some point, I would imagine. And they went from having, you know, two extremely capable starters in Verlander and Cole um, to now three with Granke, who's, you know, who's been awesome. So that, that's the most head scratching move for me. Is you know the Yankees not going to get anyone when they're in a win now mode? It's like it's championship or bust for them. Unlike the Cardinals, unlike a lot of teams, so just very head scratching. 
you know, it's just, you know, my inner fan is just very frustrated because when the Cardinals missed the playoffs for three years in a row and now the front office makes comments about going out and trying to do something and they do nothing and you hear about this, oh, yeah, they could have traded Tyler O'Neill straight up for Zach Wheeler or, they, oh, yeah, they could have traded Harrison Bader straight up for Zach Wheeler. By the way, Harrison Bader's in double-A or triple-A right now, not even on an MLB roster, and you could have gotten a, a quality pitcher who... I believe in his following start after the trade deadline, decided to throw seven shutout innings in a Mets 4 nothing win, um, especially when the Cardinals have trouble going um, past five innings. But, you know, the Yankees and all these other teams, it's, it's just really interesting to see how they, they didn't do anything. And, you know, Michael, you're 100% right. I mean, this is not the NBA. This is not the NFL. These number one draft picks do not pan out. You know, when you, you go back and you, you look at some of these guys like Harper and Strasburg and some of these, like, no-brainers, but there's not that many of them when it comes to the majors. You know, you look at... I, yeah, you, I, I, I want to point out to everybody, um, there are, what, 25 guys on an MLB roster? Yeah, so, like, the active roster so, is 25, and then I think it's, like, the 40-man roster is what you can have up to for a certain rules right so so there's 25 men on the roster times what are there there are 30 teams now or 32 i forget let's say it's 30 that's 750 players in all of major league baseball the major league baseball draft is 40 rounds so they pick 40 players every year to fill out a 25-man roster. That tells you how big the minor leagues are and what a crapshoot it is. Uh, That's what I don't get about it. It's such a crapshoot in baseball players. You know, for think of how many Bryce Harpers there have been. And and even then, look at Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, the future of baseball, the can't-miss anything you know the guy who everybody thought was going to sign the first 400 million dollar contract Bryce Harper ain't that good sorry he, and he hasn't been you know he has really good stretches but he's not a consistent star you know the his stats are not for this era that we're in his stats aren't out of this world he's not hitting 340 with 35 home runs every year um he's not Mike Trout and, you know, Mike Trout wasn't supposed to be Mike Trout. Mike Trout, when he was drafted, nobody thought, oh, yeah, this kid's a sure thing. It's a crapshoot. It's what you do with what you have and who coaches you after you get drafted that really takes you. I, it, it's just, you know, so many pitchers get hurt now. It's just a, it's a complete crapshoot unless you're the Cleveland Indians scouting team. They know who's going to be good somehow. <laughs> but other than that, it's it's a crapshoot. You would think that so with that much of a crapshoot, teams would be more into the win-now mentality because you don't know what you're going to get. And as Herm Edwards said, you play to win the game. You don't play it just to play it. And it looks like some of these GMs, some of these owners are just playing to play it and hoping for the long game. Well, you know what? Sometimes the long game never comes. Sometimes you never get a I chance think... to, to go back and do it over. I think we've gotten to a point where teams care more about profits than winning. It's it's so much more a business now. You know, if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, you're going to sell 90% of your tickets every year as long as you're competitive. So why would you risk going through a three or four year stretch where you're not even competitive 
to try and win a World Series this year. From a, from a financial and economic standpoint, that doesn't make any sense. You win the World Series this year, how much more money do you get as a team? You know, a few million dollars? Whereas, you know, over the next three years, you could lose a hundred million if you, if, if you're the, the, look at the Marlins, for example. Oh. The, the Marlins won two World Series by going all out, and then as soon as they won, they cut everybody, and nobody went to their games. Yeah. So you can sell out to win the World Series, but then if you've got three or five years where, where you're not competitive, your fans aren't going to show up, your TV revenue is going to go down. It's always about the next contract now. You know, the next TV contract is what everybody's looking forward to. And nobody wants to put themselves in a position where they're not competitive for a length of time. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not going to see teams quote going for it like they used to, unless they're the Houston Astros. It's going to be exciting to see what happens in October. Um, but overall, those were, those were kind of the, the big, big moves. Other, uh, subtle notes on that, uh, Really shocked to see guys like Scooter Jeanette moved from the Reds for just cash considerations to the Giants. Michael Lee. Didn't he hit like five home runs in a game once? Yeah, I believe so. He's, he did something really spectacular. Um, Mike Leak was uh, moved over. Uh, his no trade clause, I guess, was waived after that. And the team that everybody thought was going to be big sellers at the deadline, the Washington Nationals acquired three relievers to bolster their pen to get ready for a playoff push. They have put themselves back in contention there. So these final two regular season months should be exciting in playoff baseball, in my opinion, uh, is the best sort of playoffs over playoff hockey because I don't enjoy hockey that much. That might be another point where Michael can just say, and that's what you need to know about Nick's opinion of sports, just like movies, but I'll just say it for him anyway. I'll, I'll agree that watching hockey on TV is, is not great, but All right. go, to a live, go to a live hockey game and you'll love it. Go to a college hockey game. They're phenomenal. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, so we have... Um, f- uh, we was... Uh, that was our sports interlude, by the way. It was. Let me uh, you, before before we move on from the sports interlude, I would like to take a second. We're uh, we're recording on the evening of August first, Thursday, August first. We're a little late this week due to scheduling conflicts. Um, but I would like to point out a huge sports event occurred today, uh, earlier today. The King Harley Race was. Uh, diagnosed with lung cancer earlier this year. He passed away today, and now uh, he is gone. One of the greatest professional wrestlers in the history of professional wrestling, one of the true legends of the pro wrestling game, is gone, and we will miss him. R.I.P. All right, so that's going to do it for Sports Interlude. Dun, 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 dun. We are now on to what would be funniest scene is going to be creepiest, scariest, most disturbing, I guess, will have to be the title for this week. Justin, you had a lot of scenes to choose from when it came to best scene. But creepiest scene, disturbing, 
Do you have that many as well, or you got one that stands above and beyond? I have a scene, and I also have an honorable mention. Oh, my. My scene, very quick scene, is the walkthrough of Buffalo Bill's basement. This scene, I think, lasts for a minute, but it's just a continuous shot, um, and in this order, it shows all the moths in his basement, uh, the table where he skins his victims. You um, then begin to hear um, Catherine's um, voice and her screaming. And then it shows Buffalo Bill uh, sitting naked, uh, sewing skin together. And then it shows the well um, that, you know, the dry well that Catherine is in. Um, that minute was extremely um, disturbing. And, you know, right after the movie ended, um, I said to myself, nothing's funny about this movie. We're doing the creepy, creepiest scene <laughs> segment, and that's it. Um, and I know um, there's another one out there I'm not going to mention. Um, I'm sure you guys will hit on it, and if not, I'll, I'll bring it up. Um, but for me, that was the creepiest scene. Um, honorable mention, not really a scene, um, but when Hannibal... Um, is transported to Memphis, um, arrives at uh, the Memphis International Airport. Um, you see him interact uh, and talk uh, with Catherine's parents. And when he comes off the plane, you know, he's wrapped up, you know, arms together, kind of like he's in a straight jacket. You know, his face is covered. You see the opening for his mouth. And just, just the sight of him was extremely creepy to me. Um... I don't, I don't know. Just these scenes, these, you know, the, you know, him right in that moment, just very disturbing. Um, you know, things I'll never forget. So, uh, so yeah, that was my honorable mention. All right, all right. Um, I thought the whole movie was bleh, yucky. Um, but if I had to pick <laughs> one above everyone else, I think I'd either go with the dissecting scene to where they're doing the autopsy and they're looking at the dead body or I would look at the scene to where uh, Dr. Lecter escapes and he has hung up a dead police officer like Jesus Christ was put um, on the cross and he also has cut out his insides and done who knows what with them. So that that would have to be the the two there. Yucky. I don't know. Um I don't know what the creepiest scene is here. Uh it it might be for me where um Buffalo Bill is is talking down to the girl in in the well. And telling her, it, you know, it puts the lotion in the basket. Um, that's a freaky scene because it, it shows, you know, this is not a, uh, I guess, stereotypical serial killer. Um, you know, the, the Buffalo Bill character was based on uh, a few different real serial killers um, Thomas Harris took traits of those serial killers and put them into the Buffalo Bill. But I think the 
you know, the one of the biggest traits of a serial killer is is the the complete amorality. They don't think there's anything wrong with what they're doing, or, or they can't feel guilt. They can't feel the the emotional side of things. They don't really understand it. Um, and you know, like Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy, you know, everybody thought he was like this wonderful guy, really sweet, charming, very nice. Um, whereas, you know, Buffalo Bill behind closed doors is he's messed up. Um, and you know, they, they talked in the movie about, you know, when the Senator was on TV and she kept saying her daughter's name. Um, I think Catherine is the daughter's name and she keeps saying Catherine and, and Clarice says, well, she's saying that to humanize the victim. If, you know, if, if we can convince Buffalo Bill that this is a human being and not an object, he's less likely to harm her. Um, and that comes through in this scene because it's saying it rubs the lotion like it, it's not talking to her. It's talking at her. And and using pronouns that are are not he or she, but it, you know, objectifying the the woman um, that, you know, there's a there's some a lot of subtle, I guess, undertones in that scene about how he is the way he is. Um, and then there's the super creepy <laughs> affection for his dog. That's really odd. Um, and obviously. Uh, Catherine uses that to her advantage by by capturing the dog later, which ended up not really being much of a, you know, didn't do much, didn't change anything in the outcome of the movie. But it was, it, I guess that showed you a human side of him where he did care about something at least. Um, but that that would probably be my creepiest with the uh, the weird naked dancing following that up as a close second. The the other scene I wanted to mention was when um Hannibal gives Clarice um information uh, regarding a Miss uh, Moffat. I'm saying that right. And that leads her to the storage unit um yes. where she kind of checking things out, enters van, um you know, is looking at some things in there and then um you know, kind of just it's like a blanket or you know, some kind of garment is covering what is what turns out to be the head of someone. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like an argument could have been made as for that being the creepiest scene. And, um, you know, just wanted to throw that out there. The, the whole movie was a big creepy scene. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. All right. Who wants to go first? Give your, your <laughs> overall final impressions. You want me to go first or to go last? Well, you're you're certainly not going last. Oh. You you will not have the final say. No, you, you, this you go first. You go. First. I go first. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Let's get the, let's get the garbage out of the way. All right. So then Justin should go first. <laughs> nope. All right. So, the Silence of the Lambs. Michael, I got a question for you. All right. How do you like your eggs cooked? Say that How again? do you like your eggs cooked? Scrambled. Scrambled. Okay. Justin, how about you? 
Same here. Same here. All right. So we are all agreeing that we like our eggs cooked scrambled. All right. Well, that's fair. Some people, they like their eggs hard boiled or they like them sunny side up or over easy or maybe soft boiled. A lot of different ways to cook an egg. And there are a lot of different movie genres. And not everyone's going to like it. It doesn't mean that the egg was cooked wrong. doesn't mean that the egg was cooked poorly. But if a top chef doesn't give you scrambled eggs, Mike, it's not that maybe say you didn't want scrambled eggs. You know, you prefer scrambled eggs, but it's not your cup of tea. It doesn't mean the chef did a bad job. And with this movie, I'm not going to sit here and say that The Silence of the Lambs is a bad movie. I don't think they did a bad job, but it's not my cup of tea. I didn't like these kind of movies. I don't like these kind of movies. I won't like these kind of movies. All right. I got three big questions when it comes to this film. Number one, why are you sending a student to talk to this guy? What is that? You're going to send this isn't this isn't like, you know, Clarice Sterling has surpassed everybody. He's the smartest person in the room and has graduated, you know, two years ahead of schedule. Still working on getting that that FBI thing. Still working on making sure that she's passed all of her testing and everything. And you're going to go send her to go talk to this guy. Didn't, didn't make any sense to me. Um, number two, um, Justin, you already mentioned the whole pen thing. you know, So don't really have to get on that. Number three, how does this guy get on a plane? You're talking about a serial killer that just about everybody knows. How does he get on a plane? I, I find that almost impossible that this guy is somehow going to get past anybody in an airport, even back in the 90s, and somehow get on a plane and get to another country. So that, that, that made no sense to me uh, whatsoever. So all, all of that adding up, not being my kind of movie, um, finding myself doing other things instead of the watching the movie, I gave it a solid two. That's two... <sighs> Oh my! One, two. Gave it a two. Oh. Silence of the Lambs. Wow. My opinion. My rating. That was more shocking than the movie. Two. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, I will go, and I'm going to do it. I'm giving the Silence of the Lambs a ten. You're ridiculous. Wow. One of the best movies I've ever seen. And it's not even my genre. That's how good I thought it was. That's how good I thought the performances were, the scenes, what the movie set out to do. I thought everything was phenomenal. I don't feel like I've followed a movie so closely and have been so creeped out. And, you know, some people don't want to get that reaction from movies, but given you know, this was a horror movie. This was supposed to be a creepy and weird movie. Um, it did exactly, you know, what it set out to do. I'm not going to forget about Anthony Hopkins' performance as Hannibal Lecter. Um, just the way he handled himself. Um, you know, the different things he said. You know, him ultimately escaping. Um, you know, same thing. Jodie Foster, awesome you know, never going to forget, you know, Buffalo Bill and, and, and what he did, you know, to all his victims, just, you know, these things are going to stay with me forever, which, you know, says a lot about how good this movie was. And 
I guess, I mean, moving forward, people, you know, ask me about, you know, great movies, you know, movies I've seen. This is going to be one of the first ones I say for sure. So Silence of the Lambs, 10. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go an absolute solid 10 here. Um, And again, as I as I mention every week, there's a difference between. Uh, my favorite movies and the movies that I think are the best movies. Um, this is up there probably in one of my top 20 to 25 favorite movies, but it's probably one of the very, very best movies that, I, that I've ever seen. Um, from the way it's put together, the, the performances are just phenomenal. The, the fact that there aren't any plot holes. There's no unanswered questions. Um, the pen thing aside, you know, that's what about again, him getting on a plane? The, How are they not unanswered? You don't know what life was like in the nineties. You, you could, you can go up to, I'm at first he killed a guy and stole his identity after he got out which they did mention. And I mean, back then you could walk up to a small airport and, and pay cash for a plane ticket. You know, that, unbelievable in, in the post 9-11 world. Um, and you guys have never really lived in the pre 9-11 world. But it, it was, you know, if you have money, uh, you go up to, to someone with a private plane and you say, hey, you know, I'll give you 200 bucks to take me to an island. Uh, and they take you to the island and they don't give a shit. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Bad word. Bleep that out, Nick. Um, we try to, to not say bad words here, but it, it's, you know, I, I don't view that as a plot hole. You know, it's something that does it need an explanation. Yes. But again, coming from that era and, and, you know, having grown up in a pre nine 11 world, yeah, it, it certainly can happen. Um, and, and it happened all the time, you know, criminals were able to escape the law all the time. Breaking the law, breaking Um, the law. Yes. Breaking the law. So, you know, even on a pure enjoyment scale, you know, this is up there with nine, nine and a half. Um, but my official rating is definitely, definitely a 10. It is one of the very best movies out there. It's a great thriller. Um, the movies that I mentioned earlier that are, are considered better thrillers. I love all of them as much, uh, if not more, you know, Jaws, Psycho, Alien, North by Northwest. Those are all phenomenal, phenomenal movies right there on the same level with this one. Um, but definite, definite, absolute 10. Um, and Nick, to answer, uh, what was your, what was the question you had? I have an answer for it. Why are you sending a student to talk to this guy? Oh, um, they actually mentioned that in the movie in passing because he wanted to send someone that Hannibal Lecter would believe he would be able to manipulate. Oh, okay. That was it. And he wanted to also send someone that was attractive that he thought Hannibal Lecter would be more likely to talk to because he was attracted to her. Gotcha. Um, Those were the reasonings behind um, sending a a student, an attractive student, as opposed to a grumpy old uh, longtime FBI behavioral science person. So I have two questions, two separate questions, one directed at each of you. Number one, Justin, you gave it a 10. Better than Dark Knight? You're going to tell me it's I'd, better than nah, the I'd Dark Knight? I'd put them both Knight. at 10s for me. 
I love The Dark Knight. That's that's my favorite movie, I would say. But you know, um, I've only you know counting that. You know, I've only seen six movies ever. No, um, <laughs> according to Michael, <laughs> I've only seen so many movies. But yeah, I'm gonna. I I'd, I'd put both The Dark Knight and Silence at ten. Uh, maybe with wow. another movie or two for me. Michael, coming over to you now. Tombstone level ten. This is the same level as Tombstone. Uh, that's why I did specify it's a nine or a nine and a half on my quote favorite scale. Okay, like my enjoyment scale. Okay. Um, this is I can objectively say this is a better movie than Tombstone, but I like Tombstone more because Tombstone has you know the big things for Tombstone are a huge ensemble cast that are all phenomenal. And two, you have Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday and his amazing voice and so many quotes. It's, you know, the, my favorite thing about Tombstone is its quotability. There's a quote in that movie for every moment of your life. Like you can, someone can walk up to you and say something and there is a Tombstone quote you can say back that will fit into that context. Um, love Russell, Kurt Russell. I love Powers Booth. I Love Jason Priestley in the movie. Uh, um, Frank Stallone is in it. Sylvester Stallone's brother. Um, it's just Michael Bean plays uh, Johnny Tyler. I'm um, sorry, not Johnny Tyler. Um, uh, what's his name? Who who was the guy that was married to um, Angelina Jolie before Brad Pitt? I was going to say Brad. Billy Pitt. Bob Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton uh, played Johnny Tyler. Um, just absolutely you know sam i can't can't go without mentioning sam elliott bill pullman um it it's just tombstone is just the greatest movie of all time and we will be watching it soon i want to hold that off for a little while longer but okay but we will get there all right all right nick normally this is the part where i tell everybody what we're going to watch next week and give them a little synopsis but uh, the movie we're watching, I've never seen. Yeah. So why don't you go so ahead? Justin and I decided to pull a little coup here. We were talking uh, when Justin came home. We we're like, all right, so here's the deal. We're going to watch this movie, Silence of the Lambs. And I'm going to hate it. I don't know what you're going to think, Justin. But uh, next week, we're going to watch Hercules. And Justin goes, well, yeah, we're just going to tell Michael that we're watching Hercules. We're not sure what movie he's going to be watching, but we'll be watching Hercules. I'm like, brilliant. I love the idea. So we decided that the next week's movie is going to be the Disney film Hercules, the animated film Hercules. It is the first time in 90s DVD Rewind history that this is a film Justin and I have seen that Michael hasn't. And real quick, before I get into the little tidbits of it, it's spawned off of Digstown because one of the main actors, James Woods, plays Hades in Hercules, and that's why Michael had told me, I have never seen Hercules, and therefore we have gone the past, what is it, two episodes, three episodes now of saying that we are going to watch Hercules, and it is time. So released in 1997, directed by Rod Clements and John Musker, it is based off of a Greek mythology story of the greatest Greek heroes. It is starring Tate Donovan, voice acting Hercules, James Woods, as we mentioned before, who we talked about in Digstown, he voice acts Hades, Danny DeVito, who voice acts Philatides, and Susan Egan, who voice acts Meg. And a real little quick story on Hercules, for people who don't know, Zeus, the big guy, the guy with the lightning bolts, 
He has a kid named Hercules, and his brother Hades wants to destroy Zeus. And by doing that, he needs to get Hercules out of the picture, because if Hercules shall fight, Hades will fail. And that is going to lead us into next week's episode, Hercules. I'm really pumped. Michael, I can feel the, just the excitement. Even though I'm not with you in Ohio right now, I can feel that your entire basement is just filled with joy that you're going to watch Hercules and get ready for a podcast next week. Well, I, I am I am somewhat excited because this is from an era of Disney that I, I did not see. Um, you can watch it you know, with your this son. Was, uh, we're not quite there yet. Oh. We're watching, you know, the, the really good ones first. Um, but, you know, we had in, in the late 80s, early 90s, you had Little Mermaid, which I loved. We had Rescuers Down Under, which was pretty good. Beauty and the Beast, which I, I did not see when it came out, uh, was not interested. Aladdin, one of the best Disney That's films ever. One. Lion King, which I did see in, in 94. But you know what, Michael? That might not, be my favorite movie, Lion King. It, it's not one of my favorites. It's not one of my favorite Disney I movies. Love That's Disney's Nick's favorite movie. Um, I love Disney's version of Hamlet. Um, the, did you see the new one? I did not see the new one. Okay. I, I saw it with Nolan. I like the new one better yeah. than the, than the animated. Okay. Um, but that's, that's cause for me, I mean, the new movie is so unbelievably beautiful that I, I it was just like eye candy for the whole movie. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Um, but after Lion King, I did not see goofy movie i did not see pocahontas i did not see toy story i did not see hunchback of notre dame i did not see hercules mulan tarzan toy story 2 um dinosaur emperor's new groove atlantis um lilo and stitch treasure planet um lilo (laughs) so whatever i don't know i never saw it the uh the the next one i saw after lion king was brother bear which was in 03 you know, wow. seven, eight years I later. I saw that this, uh, this past November. It was pretty good. Brother Brother Bear was pretty good. I actually have I have a question for Justin, going back to Silence of the Lambs for a second. Mm-hmm. How much, you know, you mentioned you watched this one with Morgan. Yes. Who had seen it before, mm-hmm. was willing to sit down and watch it again, which tells me she likes it. So how much do you think your opinion was influenced by the fact that Morgan enjoyed this movie? Ooh. No, not at all. I'm I'm my okay. own person. And I um I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't jip myself. Are you guys? So, um, you know, I knew that I had a job, it was my responsibility to come in <laughs> with my own opinions and thoughts yeah, and Justin. take so no presentations um, holding no you one, back, huh? What's that? No presentations holding you back, huh? No. Good. Because no, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, even unknowingly, um, I think that my opinion of a movie is often shaped by who I watch it with sometimes. Okay. Um, a good example of that is like Superbad. Um, I saw Superbad in the movie theaters with a bunch of my friends, including um, Nick, I know you know him, Justin, I'm not sure if you do, Kevin Tice. Kev. Um, who, mm. who is who is a, a big Kev, a good friend of mine. Um we saw Superbad and <laughs> Kevin and I make each other cry all the time from laughter. You know, whenever we're together, we end up tearing up because 
were just laughing so hard and we watched super bad together and and i did not know who michael Cera was i didn't i had never seen him whatever tv show he was on hadn't seen him in a movie before um you know did not know what's the, what's the other guy's name big movie star now 21 jump street oh uh, jonah hill um, mclovin jonah, jonah hill no, no jonah hill mclovin isn't super um, bad oh no so, oh, yes, it, 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 mclovin also yeah. was in it um mm-hmm. i just i in the movie theater with a few of my friends we were laughing uproariously and in my head i thought this is the funniest movie i've ever seen in my life fast forward two or three years I, I get the, the Blu-ray, I put it in, I watch it. Eh, it's okay. I didn't think it was that good. And it it was not a, it was not like Clerks. You know, have you guys seen Clerks? I know we've talked about it. I don't remember if you've seen it or no. not. Um, Clerks, oh, we talked about it when we were talking about a black and white movie. Clerks yeah. was filmed in black and white. Um, Clerks, when it came out in... 94, 95, it was revolutionary. No one had ever done anything like it. It was phenomenal. You go back and watch Clerks now, it's a good movie, but it doesn't have the same impact. You know, if you guys went back and watched Clerks, you'd be like, what's the big deal? You know, I guess it's pretty good, but, you know, the dialogue in that movie, it was around, you know, the kind of what Quentin Tarantino did. He brought pop culture dialogue into his scripts. Kevin Smith did the same thing. You know, they there was a a lengthy discussion about the um, whether or not it was appropriate that the rebels blew up the Death Star. And one of the characters, um, Randall, you know, his point was, well, there were, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of workers out there who were just there because it was their job, you know, plumbers and contractors. They were were just out there building the thing. And then the rebels come along and blow it up and kill them all. And those are all innocent victims. So, and there was a lengthy argument about that in the, right in the middle of the movie clerks. If you see that today, it's like, well, you know, pop cultures in, in movies and TV shows all the time now. Well, when clerks came out, it wasn't. And, but, but super bad, I don't think is, is in that same realm. It, you know, like if I go watch Tommy boy today, I laugh just as hard today as I did when it came That's out, funny. but super bad, like literally the second time I watched it, I'm like, why did I laugh so hard at this movie? It was because of the people I was with. They colored my opinion of the movie and, and my relationship with Kevin specifically made me enjoy that movie so much more not be necessarily because the movie was funny, but because us watching the movie was funny. Then I got an idea. So. Nick needs to watch these films with us. No. So then at Maybe. least for a week, yeah. he'll no, rate Nick, them Nick, highly. Nick needs to open his mind. I, you know, I, the sense I'm getting is he came in to this, to this viewing saying, I don't like horror movies. Therefore, I am not going to like Silence of the Lambs. And I'm not going to change that opinion because I'm a... a Stubborn grump. Oh, I could have done that and just not watched. Instead, I gave it. A, I gave it an NA because I didn't review it. No, no, I've already told you. The first time you come in and say you didn't watch the movie, we're done. Podcast over. Almost um, happened. Episode five, but folks. With 
with with all of that said, uh, you know, going back to next week, I am excited to watch Hercules. I will certainly watch it. I think uh, this is a good little twist. You know, we've done five movies that I love. Now we'll do one that you guys love. Woo-hoo. I'm sure I will like it. Um, I'm not going to be blown out of the world. You know, the Disney animation in that era was not the greatest thing ever. Um but we'll see. You know, I, I do love mythology. I took a mythology class in, in high school or um, in college at Montclair State University with Professor Joyce. Um, and, and interestingly enough, in that class, we had an assignment one week where everybody in the class, we split into one of th- everybody played one of three characters. You were either Pan, the, uh, the goat footed god. Or you were Apollo, or you were someone else, one of the female gods I don't remember. I was Pan. Now, Pan is a rebel. Pan is a, I'm going to do whatever I want, and I don't care what anybody thinks Sounds about like it. Sounds like Michael to begin with. Right. This was my role. I was born to be Pan in this mythology classroom. Um, everybody goes, I was um, close to last of the Pans. You know, maybe third to last out of of nine or ten. It's my turn. I get out of my seat, walk up to the front of of the classroom, and jump on the desk and start dancing on the desk because Pan plays a flute and dances. And then I sit and um, let's put it this way. It was not... Uh, PG-13, I was cursing up a storm uh, at the teacher. So it it was like an interview segment, like as if Professor Joyce was David Letterman and I was a guest on his TV show. Um, So I just went up there, cursed at him, cursed everybody out. Um, It was phenomenal. Uh, I got an A in that class. I was voted the best character of all of the roughly 35 students. Uh, that was a fun day in college for me, one of my favorite college experiences. So, again, I love mythology, took a mythology class. I took an Irish mythology class. I love the story of Hercules. I love the Greek gods, the Roman gods. They're all, you know, the whole pantheon is phenomenal. So we'll see how Disney does. All right. Next week, Hercules, Disney animation. Follow us on Twitter at 90Rewind. That's at 90Rewind. Want to get those follows up so you guys can hit us up with your comments, what you guys think about what we've been doing so far, any movies that we're missing on, maybe some some of the films that we've already seen, what you guys think, if it's your first time watching them, where you've gone back and maybe you've changed your mind. You had one opinion, and, you know, you thought it was good, now you think it's bad, or you think it's better than before, or you thought it was bad, and now it's good. Would love to hear... Uh, from you guys a lot of places that you can listen to us apple podcast breaker google podcast overcast pocket cast radio public spotify stitcher and obviously anchor check us out on anchor that's going to about do it for us justin as always any final thoughts before we salute and sign off silence of the lambs awesome film no go see it if you haven't no and now, go see Hercules. Yeah. I'm excited. That's right. Hercules. Next week, you've been listening to 90s DVD Rewind. 
Everybody have a good one. That was fun.